0: Welcome to the Nerd Cut, where we find only the most battle-hardened, life wizened presenters to lead the show. No Marty Stews or Mary Sue's to be found here. Kicking off the story arc of our Nerd Cut protagonist, we have the young Buck, still so energetic and innocent, looking damn trim at the moment and full of life, watching the world through wondrous eyes with a positive outlook. He can do anything, be anyone, and if that anyone turns out to be a Nerd Nerd, with an unhealthy obsession with Hans Zimmer, and enough board games to stack a tower to the moon, then so be it. It's the Luke Skywalker, the Harry Potter, the Frodo Beckins of our geeky tale. It's Mr Andrew Searle. Say hello Andrew. Hello. Tears are welling up in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to his middle years, we find our nerd hero with a not-quite-so-full head of hair, battered and bruised by the world, whose true nefarious nature is becoming ever more plain to see. Still, he continues to fight the good fight, as and when he can, and woe betide any non-socialist who stand in his way courting women and bustling tyrants across the nine dimensions of this universe. It's the Han Solo, the Jack Sparrow, the Batman of this nerdy story. It's Mr. Jonathan Maunders. Say hello, Johnny.
1: Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> uh, it started off very badly um, for me and for you, maybe. Uh, but it, uh, the kind of... Yeah. Improved. It definitely improved. Towards saved, it end. End. Saved, saved it at the end. Saved the end, yeah. I'm not going to see you yet.
2: <laughs> you can call him anything, and then call him Batman, and then before.
1: yeah, exactly. You can just basically call me a prick and then say I'm Batman and, then, and <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Batman. and as our epic adventure comes to a close, no more demons to slay, no more worlds to conquer. We find our protagonist weary and, quite honestly, fucking knackered most of the time, with grey hairs sprouting at an alarming rate and a bit rounder at the edges, despite all the running he's doing at the moment. He watches the world with a kind of dour serenity. There is nothing more he can do to save it, for he believes it is beyond the point of saving. He will resign himself to that eventuality and enjoy the time he has left. It's the Ben Kenobi, the Rorschach, hell, it's the Dark Lord Sauron of this series. It's me, Mr. Christian Liberman. Hello. So, today we shall be discussing what makes a strong character. But first, what have we been consuming this week?
2: Andrew. Oh God, he's kicking me off of me well. Nothing particularly nerdy. Basically just a lot of friends. Hence my t-shirt.
0: How you doing? Very good. How, are exactly. you, doing How you doing?
2: How you doing? So yeah, just basically a lot of friends. And nothing else vaguely
0: nerdier than that. And which friends are these?
1: <laughs> you lot. <laughs> I have been, since the last episode we recorded, I have been revisiting, as I know who you have briefly, Christian the Arkham series of games, so I purchased or repurchased, or no, purchased the remastered versions of Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, and I've started Arkham Asylum, I haven't got particularly far in it, uh, further new I believe though, Grisha, and it's a, it's a lot of fun, it is a hell of a lot of fun, and I can definitely see how many a summer holiday was spent playing that game, I look forward to carrying on, and yeah.
0: How far you got in it? You finished Arkham Asylum then, yet?
1: No, I've, 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 I've barely made a dent even in Arkham Asylum. I'm about like oh. 9% through the, that game. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough.
1: What about you, Christian?
0: I've been, although I did purchase, yes, the Arkham Collection and wasn't intending to get into it, I've ended up getting myself stuck back into um, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which I had on Xbox, then subsequently got rid of my Xbox, and then and now have on my PS4 um, I've been replaying it in an effort to show off the piracy lifestyle to the lady friend who likes pirates um, but it's been rediscovering how good a game it is And I've, I, although I haven't played any subsequent Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed games it's uh, it's definitely a highlight from that series and I feel like it's gone a little bit downhill since then personally but it's a damn good game Just cruising about the Caribbean I mean, with the weird weather we've been having here in this country it's quite nice to have a bit of consistency yeah it's properly open world that game isn't it Mm -hmm. although it's quite abrupt you can go like sailing through sunny uh, the sunny sky and then suddenly you'll have water spouts and big waves crashing against you so it's probably just as inconsistent as it is here
2: have you played um, Sea of Thieves Christian?
0: no but I've seen Angry Joe's review of it (laughs) of course (laughs)
1: Is this podcast one just one big advert for
0: Angel? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's paying me under the table. Um, or did no, but I've heard. It. I've heard it's one of those games where, a bit like No Man's Sky, it kind of it faltered at the start and then it's subsequently been updated quite a bit and become quite good. I've seen a few vids of people fighting against the Kraken and like megalodons. So it doesn't. It doesn't look quite cool, though. the Kraken Kraken.
1: I heard Who it's knows. Pronounced Kraken. <laughs> it was definitely Kraken.
0: Kraken. How about you? Have you played it then?
2: I have, yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. You get like a nice little crew together. It's quite fun if you play on your own it's a bit it's a bit shit, but Yeah, I think yeah, you need yeah, a, It's good.
0: You need some friends to play
2: it. Yeah, it's kind of one of those games that's like It's like really fun for like 2 or 3 hours and you're like having the best time of your life and then you kind of think, "Oh, there's not really much else to do." like you kind of <laughs> like you're just doing the same thing over and over again but um, for, that, for that first experience is really good so yeah so what are we discussing today what is the what's the main topic
0: what's or how did you put it it says what's the hallmarks of a great character of very well put character. of a strong character and Johnny's putting his his uh, flexing his biceps so I think that's what a very
2: is. big bicep Johnny
0: yeah thank you oh
2: no it's just the apple in the way sorry
1: Wait, character doesn't have to be strong physically to be a strong character.
2: Very true. Maybe that's something we'll discuss as as the thing goes on. So why don't we start ourselves off with, like, should we all go for one strong character each that we want to talk about, and we'll see if we have anything particularly different. Johnny, why don't you kick us off with something?
1: Well, my choice is particularly uninspired, and the kind of the choice that I'm pretty sure most of you would expect. Not not Batman, is it? It's (laughs) not Batman, actually. (laughs) Same vein. In the same vein, from the same universe. Is it Bruce Wayne? It's not Bruce <laughs> Wayne. Though no, no one has ever seen Bruce Wayne about in the same room, so... Go figure. I'm going to go... That's a theory. I'm going to go... There's several characters. I, w- I want to go for a female character, and there's several female characters I could go with. Um, but I'm going to go for Wonder Woman, actually. Um, and the reason I'm going to say Wonder Woman is because... She... When, when, Gal, when Gal Gadot was cast in the role of Wonder Woman, there was a huge backlash. A lot of people were saying that she doesn't look like Wonder Woman. Um, uh, and there was some very kind of sexist comments as well, no doubt. But like, there are not, there are, I don't know anyone now that would say that she's miscast or wrong for that role. And, and just as a character in the films and, and in the comic books, She is sort of so well developed as a character. So three dimensional, so human and yet so otherworldly. And I think that's something that perhaps we will talk about, that she really is a strong character. And in the first Wonder Woman film, despite the fact that she's got super strength and the fact that she is, you know, incredible in everything that she does, she's yet still so human. And the emotion in that film is so genuine that it really makes her a strong character. And actually, I'm not gonna I'm, without trying to get too much into Snyder's stuff today. You can have a drink, Christian. Um, you've got you to go. I'm gonna go water. He's got his vodka out. Yeah, <laughs> but she stole, in many ways. She in the like couple of scenes that she had, she basically stole Batman v Superman as a film. Yeah. Um, And for a lot of people who even hated the movie, they all agreed that she was the best bit of it. um, Or the best bits of it. She stole that movie. And a lot of the reason is because she was probably the only three characters, even though we hadn't really seen her before that, that seemed so developed in such a way and so sort of mysterious and yet so um, familiar. And I think, and it goes beyond, it goes beyond the film, though I think the films, so the first one, have gone a long way in sort of solidifying her as a sort of three-dimensional character that you can empathise for. But I even feel like in the comics, she can be like that because she's so sort of well-developed. But um, but yeah, who's next? Andrew.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, my, 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 my choice is going to kind of build from what you've said, but also add in another dimension I think is quite important to remember with strong characters in that they don't always have to be likeable. Um, we kind of always think of like a strong character, we think of like these kind of Big heroes and like Wonder Woman whatever um, so I'm gonna go for Katniss Everdeen from Hunger Games the girl on fire because like sometimes she can just be a bit of an arse but she's just consistent like she's she's strong she's strong in her will she's strong physically she's strong in everything she does she's also pretty vulnerable I think it's another kind of key aspect that you see. You kind of makes the character strong is when you actually get to see their see them failing, see them not necessarily failing in a big way, but you, you see it. They are not infallible, um, and and also say that they're not likable. They're not always likable. <coughs> I think that's be likable to some extent. Otherwise, they're just a, um, obviously just a villain essentially. But yeah, I think I think Katniss is a really well. Well written character, who you even if you don't necessarily like what she's doing or agree with what she's doing, you completely believe and appreciate why she's why she's doing what she's doing, and that she kind of believes in that motive or that she is acting that way because that's part of her character. Um, So I think she's a she's an interesting choice to talk about in relation to strong characters.
0: So is that? um, So I was gonna say, is that have you read the books, or is that purely from the films that you're getting?
2: I would say it's probably more from the books because I think she's, I think she's more likable in the film. is probably just because they actually want to like sell the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think in the books, because you cause you're kind of obviously you're seeing everything completely from her perspective and not at all from kind of the outside world's perspective of her. Um, so you just have a lot of her kind of like, a lot of her vulnerability comes off in that way, and mm-hmm. because she's kind of constantly questioning herself and like feels very insecure about lot of things um, but also has these kind of thoughts you're like oh you're just being a bit of an arse like you yeah <laughs> so yeah that's so they probably probably like, really well.
0: think they, when they're adapting books into films they probably do strip away some of the more unappealing character traits than they say to sell a character or sell a film
2: yeah I and also I suppose well. it's just it's also just the way I suppose that in that instance the way the story is told is from it being quite clearly from other people's perspective I mean everything's like kind of obviously cameras and stuff isn't of what she's doing as in within the context of the universe it's cameras of what she's doing Um say, where's of the books is kind of properly inside her head so it's the same kind of thing with Harry Potter I guess in that you yeah the films maybe cut out some of kind of Harry's like more negative thoughts and actions yeah true because of time and because of, yeah, just making a more likeable character, is easy to so film.
0: So you don't get like, when you're writing a book you can write the thoughts and feelings of a character which can't, are like, difficult to uh, convey just through film unless you had some sort of interior monologue going on in the background. But
2: yeah, for sure.
0: Anyway, i for my, one of my favourite characters, one of my favourite characters from film in general, Ellen Ripley from the Alien series, which we will soon be showing to uh, Andrew, and uh, he'll be cowering behind Alien the Alien virgin. <laughs> um, she's just a prime example of a strong character in terms of just how multifaceted she is. She is, when you meet her, she is... A, you would, you, at the time, you know, when Alien first came out, you wouldn't have known that she was. That she would end up being the main character. She's, um, playing third fiddle to um, Thomas Garrett and John Hurt, who were like two ranking officers on the Nostromo in the first film. Um, and the one th- when she starts kind of breaking away is when they bring this parasite onto the ship. They, she's the one person who wants to, kind of maintain quarantine, wants to keep it outside the ship until they can figure out what it is, what it's capable of, capable of while everyone else is happy to break procedure, break quarantine, break protocol, to bring it on board. And so I suppose that initially you think maybe she's just the job's worth, she's just sticking to the rules, doesn't have much empathy, but she ends up in the long run being uh, proved right. So in that sense, she's got one element to her character and then when we get to the second film, Actually, oh, sure, in so the first film, it's just, at no point does it come across that she's like a superhero or she's going to take out this alien easily, single-handedly. She's... I don't think she's going exactly know, she's a warrant officer, so I don't know what her specific skill set is on this ship, whether she's good with um, tools, good with engineer, cause an engineer or anything like that, but she, like, she's never... She never faces the alien with like a particularly brave face. She's constantly brilliantly acted by Sigourney Weaver, just absolutely petrified the entire time, heavy breathing. Just uh, you can just tell how terrified she is. And just every time you think the alien's been defeated, she's got it out of the airlock or she's managed to escape the ship. Um, it suddenly reappears and she's got to adapt and figure out another way to get rid of it. Um, and then it's kind of scaled up in the second film, where which is much more of an action film, where she's again paying the advisor to this group of marines who you think would just be able to easily take out these aliens but they're completely overrun um, and while everyone else is losing their heads she's the one because she's experienced this creature before she's the one to kind of maintain a cool head, kind of thinks things through logically, figures out a way to overcome the situation um, and at the same time because she, you find out at the start that she, in the gap between the first and second film she's lost her daughter because she was in cryosleep for 50 years um her daughter's you know got old and died she forms a bond with this um swan survivor on this colony called newt um, and then you see this really wonderful mother-daughter relationship forming between them and almost in a sense kind of a full family with one of the marines who she kind of starts bonding with um and then like at the end, when there's a chance of escape, rather than just escaping, she will. She goes into the, like the big power plant to go and save this child. To uh, despite the fact this it's about to, the whole place is about to detonate. She will go. She goes in to save this one child. And one thing I've noticed in that a lot of films recently is that I think sometimes female characters are made to be kind of motherhood isn't really explored a whole lot. It's like a lot of female characters are just given masculine traits. Just made them really, you know, strong. Like Johnny was saying, strong, but strong in the sense of purely, you know, powerhouses, and they're not strong, necessarily strong, you know, having it diverse emotional states. But Ellen Ripley was just such a prime example of the ability to be, you know, a, a, a mother or you know, an emotional, you know, character at the same time as also being a bloody very strong in terms of what she does in terms like be able to pick up an assault rifle and defend herself and defend others and yeah and it's just that's probably where the the majority of the her development comes in those first two films but she is just such a multi- I've gone on on quite a bit but she is just such a multifaceted character and I just love everything about Ellen Ripley.
2: It's interesting you're saying that she wasn't um, the kind of the main character from the start do you think is as in was it was there was there one main character in that film and then she kind of just like was brought in later the more? It's kind of how um,
0: did work? it's always an ensemble cast. You, I suppose, you just go into a film knowing that there's a crew and you'd assume that the captain is going to be the main character. Just kind of in your head, you just assume that that would be. I think he was like the, probably the biggest star at the time, Tom Skerritt. Yeah. And Sigourney Weaver wasn't this. That was like one of her first films, if not her first film. So you just you would go into that not having no idea that she would end up being the survivor of that of that film. Um, obviously, knew with I my, do now. This been, you do, <laughs> yeah. Spoilers, sorry, but she does. But she's yeah. She's obviously the main character of the series. Cause you know yeah. from the subsequent films that she is the one that stays with it. But um, I suppose it just kind of has leads to that horror film quality often times you go into a horror film and you can almost anticipate who the survivor is going to be from the off whereas Alien initially before we knew about the sequels you could have gone into that and have no idea who the, who the survivors were going to be who was the first one who would be the first one to be picked off so kind of almost broke the mould I suppose
2: yeah I mean it's maybe not quite what you're, what you're saying but i think it's interesting that we've all picked and quite often we, when we think of strong characters you think of a lead character but i can think of plenty of strong characters that are like the kind of the supporting character that's always there for the main character like and the aunt may in spider-man alfred in batman um ron and hermione in the harry potter series like sometimes they're actually potentially even stronger characters than the than the person they are supporting if that makes sense mm-hmm. sorry johnny what
1: uh, my comment was just just in terms of um, sort of um, defying expectations and 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 female female characters doing that. Listening to Christian talking about Ripley in in Alien also made, made me think of Sarah Connor as well in, in in Terminator. How yep, it's not it's not the archetypal sort of. Bear in mind they're there for her son. It's not like she's the sort of defenseless, poor, helpless mother. In in fact, she's like you know, she's so strong, and you know she gets ripped and starts yeah. I won't give her a spoiler, but yeah, <laughs> and, the, and actually the fact that she's such a strong character that that now effectively they've gone to you know, ask about face to make to say that all the Terminator films without her in it aren't canon. So,
0: <laughs> you know that's that's how strong a character she is. They kind of what feels like although I haven't seen it they say so they defined her as a very strong character like a mother and also at the same time someone who can hold her own against a terminator and then it feels like like blinking back to what I was saying about how a lot of modern characters kind of undermine the ability to be you know a mother and as well as a strong character whereas dark no, the most recent dark fate the most recent terminator film feels like it does undermine that that kind of message a bit and it is the mothering side is kind of taken out purely to see someone who's physically strong, and that's the defining trait of her and the other some of the other characters in that film. Unfortunately, I think that's probably why one of the reasons why it didn't it wasn't received terribly well, and why it's, well, not many alternative films have been received terribly well since the first two. But
2: yeah, for sure. And I think all all the main characters we've talked about so far. One of the key things that they all show is that they. They develop their kind of strength or they demonstrate their strength over a period of time. They are not; they don't just kind of end up with some kind of strength or... Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I don't want to get Christian started too much on the sequels, but I'm just thinking of, like... I'd say, actually, all three of the main... the kind of main three characters in that... or main three protagonists are they could have well they could have ended up really well but in terms of how they how they ended up in the trilogy at large I think they all none of them developed do they from where they start they get all the
0: development in the Force Awakens and
2: then they yeah the the, the, the only potential change between Force Awakens and the Raz Gulk is that Ray is is able to use like the Force Mm -hmm.
0: but like consciously
2: yeah but but incredibly
0: quickly and Mm -hmm like that's the thing I've written down actually how in the third film they brought in this darker element this kind of the thought that she might turn evil despite the fact Mm. that they haven't hinted at that really at all in the first two and suddenly just because we subsequently find out who her parentage you know who her relatives are suddenly that means genetically you're evil because you're genetically Related to someone who's evil. So that's when you how that, it works,
2: when you compare that that arc to Luke and Anakin, who both spend all three films kind of, or maybe maybe not all three, but their their second and third films in their arcs, questioning what's going to happen, where they are going to be good or bad, and you see flickers of both sides all the time. And um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think it's yeah, that that's where it falls down. But say even like Finn, Finn could have been a really cool. Like I don't know. He didn't he didn't need to be a like a force user, but he could mm-hmm. have been like a just a strong guy. He, he was he, he he's, went completely downhill. But
0: <laughs> mm. well, he's been like John Boyega has like gone on record recently in stating about how they really heavily promoted his character. Yeah. As being a black character, like a main character in Star Wars. And then they subsequently even though he had he had an interesting kind of beginning in The Force Awakens, he subsequently just, in particularly in *The Last Jedi*, became just a bit of an idiot character, and he was constantly getting knocked out or you know stunned, or that he didn't really have much in his entire and the entire side story of Kanto bite was just the most pointless. Even *The Last Jedi* defenders, I think, can say that the whole Kanto bite scene are pointless. So, particularly sh- with him, with him, with him. I
1: find it. I. I really like him as an actor as well I've seen yeah he's a um, great actor um, oh, what's the film Detroit Detroit um, mm-hmm. he's really really good in that um, and I and, and I was really excited when I saw him saw him cast in in, in it and I remember even watching him in attack the block as well which I really loved um, and, and you're right it, it sort of feels like they just by the second film it was like oh I, we just didn't know what to do with him anymore almost I was like well what mm-hmm. There's just there's no excuse for that.
0: But then that's what happens when you have two different writers trying to say in the same, write the same story. They each have different ideas of what they want to do with the characters. If there's no consistency, then you can't. I think it's quite difficult to have that character progression and have a character arc. It's such a shame because he's such he was such a likable character, and John Wager himself is such a seems like such a great charismatic guy. That it would, it's just a shame that his character was undermined in the way that it was. Um, but
1: it, I also, think uh, I'm just a, sorry. Sorry, just wait. So, what, what we're, kind of, I guess, that's, we're both saying is that it's all underpinned by the writing. Every character is only as strong as the writing, because I've got like I've got like three words down: empathy, uniqueness, three dimensions. All three of those can only be achieved through writing.
0: Good writing.
1: Yep. You know, you could come up with the best help, idea uh, for a character. But unless it's well written, then
0: it's not a strong character. Mm-hmm. So was that empathy? or was the second one?
1: So like empathy, so as, an, as viewers, our ability to empathize with the character.
0: Yeah.
1: The second one is probably the least important of the three, but it's uniqueness—is it's just what makes this character different from another character? And the third one is probably the most important one—is three-dimensional. Yeah. Is making yeah, sure yeah. they're not—they're not just a two-dimensional character; they are three-dimensional.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's—that's that's how I perceive as. me and you are both budding writers Johnny, is that how I perceive a good character is they have to have, they can't be a perfect, the archetypal character, they can't be perfect in every way, they can't, there has to be an arc and they have to have weaknesses, they have to have a struggle, they have to struggle to gain, because that's what we all, you know, everyone in life, apart from a few, you know, of the elite, you know, Johnny, you're the elite strata of society. You don't have to struggle for anything. But most, the vast majority of people, you have to struggle to achieve and get where you are. No one goes through life being good at everything. They have to practice to become good at something. Or they have to fail and then fail again and fail again and eventually succeed. So all characters need for us to be able to empathise with them. I feel you have, they have to be similar to us in that way. They have to be they have to struggle they have to go through similar trials that we would have to do in real life otherwise they're just fantasy they're just a fantasy character that we can't I personally can't feel anything for because if you don't if you're not worried about them failing about you know if for example in Star Wars if you're not worried about Rey being killed by Kylo then why should I really care about her at all because if you're not worried about her failing, then you can't have that connection. And. I was going to say. Now I've lost my train of thought.
2: Well, Could I get you on a different train track, Christian? Just so, as we're talking around that kind of area. Choo choo. Choo choo! <laughs> um, While we talk about Kylo Ren, I was interested to know what you think about Kylo Ren's arc. Or okay, kind of character arc. I, f-
0: I think he was potentially quite interesting but i think that's entirely down to um adam driver as being quite a good actor in terms of the character itself you just can't understand him he can't he just seems like a spoiled child the entire time and you have no idea why he turned against luke he turned well apart from when he stood up when luke was standing above him in a with his lightsaber on one night and suddenly which may or, may, or may not have
2: happened which may or may not have <laughs> happened
0: and then we get into the whole then we get down the rabbit hole of Luke's bloody character bloody destruction as well but yeah why would he turn on Luke why would he turn on his parents what did Snoke say to him to tempt into the dark side you find out none of that and the difference oh, what well, well, I was going to say before I lost my thought was it people always just going back to Ray briefly People always, you complain about Ray. People who try and defend her say, "Well, Luke and Anakin were just like perfect and great. Everything they did." It's like, no, they weren't. Luke got zapped by a blinking remote. They was training with in A New Hope. He got his hand chopped off by Darth Vader in the second one. And it's only at the very end, at the climax of the film, that he finally. But it's, it's not even in a good way, he gives in to his anger, and the only by giving into his anger he's able to defeat Darth Vader. And then if you go back to Anakin, Anakin had his arm chopped off, he had his legs and his other arm chopped off. It's like They failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. Whereas Rey, the first time she picks up a lightsaber she defeats Kylo, who granted is injured at the time, but he's also trained for years as a Jedi. And she picks first time she picks up a lightsaber, she's able to defeat him, and then she defeats him again in the second one, and then she defeats him again in the third one. So, then going back to that, if you're not worried about her losing, then you can't forge that connection with her. But like with um, Kylo Ren, he just because there's no hints of why he does what he does. I can't. I, he's not a good character. He's I'm afraid he's just not a good character. And again, things about to the writing had they been given the depth and just even just hints of why they turned or why they did what they did, just little hints here it doesn't have to be a full you know exposition dump, just little hints about why he turned why he follows Snoke that would be enough to make so at least then you could fill in the gaps yourself, but there's nothing... there's no the whole thing's blank, so you can't fill in the whole thing yourself. You need little bits here and there. Yeah. That you can then fill in the blanks yourself if you want to so that's my thought on Kylo
2: totally I get that I Get that. Um, so one question I was just thinking about in relation to Johnny talking about Wonder Woman I wonder if do you think it's easier although it's not essential do we think it's easier for a character to appear strong when they are also physically strong at the same time
1: in some ways I think it's the opposite because I think it's harder to empathise with someone who has inhuman strength. Now, one of the problems, for example, filmmakers have had with, say, Superman and other superheroes more generally, is keeping them human and 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 um, keeping them human and identifiable while maintaining the strength. Whereas and that's. That's one of the great successes of Wonder Woman, as I said, is having someone who is so strong, inhumanly strong physically, and yet so compassionate and so human emotionally. And so I think in some ways, if someone isn't strong, it's easier to identify physically, it's easier to identify with them because we're not strong physically. Mm. You know? Speak for yourself. Yeah. But but you know what I mean, whereas someone like Superman or whatever, like. Yeah. It's oh my god! I can't fly. I can't, you know, <laughs> pick up a yeah. car with one hand. So a filmmaker has to do more work to make them, uh, to make them human in that sense. I think.
0: I think it's all the more impressive when they, if they manage to, find that balance as well. It's quite. It's relatively easy to turn a character that, mortal. Make them kind of capable of being empathised with. Whereas if you like taking someone like Wonder Woman or Superman, and if you're able to do it, make them humanise them and get an audience to sympathise with them, then that's a hell of a hell of a fee, you've got to say. Maybe that's why um, I was going to say. Do you think because Batman is mortal, do you think that's one of the reasons why he's more popular in general with with audiences, or do you think it's another trait of his? I think it's one of the reasons.
1: I think I think that the idea that he is just a guy, and we could all be Batman. Mm. Obviously, we can't because we don't have we're not billionaires, Billions. Um, and we haven't trained with the League of Assassins and all that. Um, but but I think that is a key tenant in his in his popularity. Definitely, the fact that he is to a certain extent human and identifiable. But there are also other ways. Other ways you can identify with him, in the sense that because he has suffered loss, because there is a darkness to his soul, without being too philosophical, that that said, Superman doesn't have. For example, Superman is the sort of, you know, the boy in blue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I, so, I, but I definitely think the more him, Batman being a just like us, being human, definitely. Definitely plays a big part in his appeal. Yeah. I think Batman's a really
2: interesting one because I think quite often when we think of strong characters, I think of them at least as being strong in their own right. But Batman, I think, is a good example of a strong character that is shown how strong he is by his relationship with other people. As in, so like, let's talk about Alfred earlier. Alfred's always there for him. His relationship with his parents, even though they're dead, is a huge factor is to kind of about his character but also how strong where he gets his strength from mm. um, and even the relationship he has with his villains yeah like his same. his constant battle with them and the kind of moral um, challenges that that brings up all of those things are the that, that's the way that you see him as a strong character the fact that he's got all I don't know he's a millionaire and got all the gear and can fight and all that kind of stuff is great but I'd say it's, it's those relationships that actually make him him a strong and well-written character. I suppose it's
0: the reason villain, like Batman's villains are so highly regarded because just, I suppose they almost represent parts of his character, maybe just darker elements of his character, that's why, whereas, you know, Marvel villains are often just your typical comic book villain with a fancy costume and a few powers, Batman's villains very much feel like they almost represent different parts of his character like just that he's fighting against. Um yeah, so I, it's, I, yeah, I, I totally get that. You, you
1: referenced quite a big part yeah. by mentioning villains. One of the reasons that I think that Batman's villains are so much more popular than any other superhero Marvel or DC's villains is because again, like Batman they are so human. Even if they're completely inhuman in the way they lurk or the way they, they act, there's a human element and a human motivation. They're three-dimensional. For me, the best example is Mr. Freeze in the sense that mm. he's not motivated by sort of, all oh, just killing bad guys, like killing good guys or stealing lots of money. It's to save his wife. Um, and there's this is, again, one of the great successes of the sort of Batman animated series was that it was really in enforcing or reinforcing this idea that behind every Batman villain was a tragic story. And there was a, there was a, these people weren't just innately evil, like some villains are, but they are all just average people that, that have a tragic story behind them. And that made them three dimensional and it made them, made people be able to empathize with them. And again, it's something that we've seen with Joker as well, not just done brilliantly in the film, um, but also well before that, the idea of just one bad day can drive someone to that. So it makes these characters identifiable with us and makes us, you know, it makes us empathise with them. And, and, and Batman villains do it so, so incredibly. You know, there's, behind every one there is a tragic story.
2: Which kind of again comes back to the writing, is not it, rather than just what you're seeing on the screen. Hmm.
0: But do you, just kind of just referencing some of the other examples I came up with, it's the... How much do you think the flaws of a character can contribute contribute to their how you know being a good character? Like, for example, just a couple of like things I wrote down. I'm talking about the um stepping outside of um geek geek uh, sphere momentarily. The, one of my favourite films is It's a Wonderful Life. And the uh, main character of George Bailey in that. Um and the whole story being about this guy who um ends up trying to kill himself because he feels that his town would have been better if he had never lived but throughout the story you see he's given up so much of you know his potential and what he wanted for his life in order to make other people's lives better and although in I suppose his flaw is in this sense is he doesn't always do it you know happily he doesn't happily give over give these um, make these sacrifices he's often quite begrudging about them but he knows it's for the greater good the greater good Um, the greater good the greater good but nevertheless he does it when the tables are turned and he's the one in trouble the whole town rallies around to to uh, return the favour so it's it's almost it's part of his flaw that he's in, in, in an idealized world, he would just he'd be giving it, giving these, making these sacrifices perfectly willingly and happily, and then without any kind of uh, aversion to doing it or any kind of not doing it begrudgingly. Whereas, but still, even though he still has that flaw, where he, he's not entirely doing it willingly, and going back to um, geeky stuff, there's a character called uh, John Crichton in the Farscape in a series called Farscape, one of my favourite series um, and that's about a human character who gets lost on the other side of the galaxy and ends up with this ship of um, escaped prisoners, these alien escaped prisoners and that does the wonderful thing of turning his flaws as a character as as a human and then using them as a as a positive, it's switching them into a positive. So, in some and in other things, you'd get a human character who would enter a group of non-human characters, and somehow he'd be amazing at everything. He'd be the best character. He'd be able to outdo them in fighting and outdo them in every, in you know, every attribute. Attribute, but it's these flaws. As in in this in Farscape, it's the flaws as a human that end up helping like saving the day. Oftentimes, there's a one episode that I reference where the ship is invaded by this alien that um, has these ex- kind of um, exerts this light, this light, kind of the form of pheromones, and all the other members of this the crew um, are affected by it. And they can't, he's gonna like basically destroy the ship in some way, but they can't do anything to stop him because they're absorbing this light and they're kind of falling, you know, almost in love with this character. They can't—they can't do anything against him because they're having him absorbing this light through the eyes. But um, sorry, I'll get stopped because Andrew's yawning. <laughs> but because, as a human, his eyes are not as sensitive as the other characters. That means that he is the only one who is able to then stop that character. So it's turning a flaw into a then positive trait. It then saves the day. So it's just an interesting way to using flaws to make an interesting multifaceted character and you know doesn't it you you can in interesting specifically in sci-fi you can make turn flaws into interesting positives the character doesn't have to just be perfect in every way they can still have flaws and then you can still save the day it's you know it's perfectly possible
1: Um, and flaws can be subjective in the sense that my favourite novel of all time is it's not a sci-fi novel at all it's uh, The Great Gatsby and as a teenager and a young adult, I absolutely completely loved Gatsby as a character and identified with him completely. His big flaw is the fact that he's a sort of unwavering, blind idealist to a fault. And yet it's beautiful how idealistic he is. And yet it's a complete flaw that ends up killing him. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, And again, these flaws make us identify with characters because the characters were absolutely perfect we wouldn't be able to see any of ourselves in them unless we you know unless we were Piers Morgan um,
0: <sighs> I thought we were perfect exactly it's that message of like you know your flaws what you might perceive as flaws or what some other people might perceive as flaws in a given situation or to other un- or people are not flaws though. it's, it's yeah, like, yeah it's how you perceive you, them you
1: liken me to Jack Sparrow in the intro and mm that I was obsessed with Jack Sparrow as a sort of teenager for the same reason because I saw a lot of myself in his sort of flighty sort of nature
2: and you had dreadlocks and I had dreadlocks (laughs) yeah
1: and drank a lot of rum
2: (laughs) one of those Um, statements
1: is true guess
2: so the two examples I was going to think of that are quite closely related to each other or at least not related at all just in the same thing
1: (laughs) Um, <laughs> but in a, related that, but in a much real way not related at all. yeah
2: definitely not related it's important they're not related for this for this relationship to work um, there are kind of two ends of the spectrum on that thing I think so I was thinking of Han Solo and Leia where Leia is kind of presented as as like I mean she's not perfect but like she's kind of pretty idealistic woman who's strong knows what she wants goes and gets it all that kind of stuff and then you've got Han Solo who's this kind of ass like only cares about himself scoundrel scoundrel and i think yeah so you you see a lot of flaws in han but actually i think like that then makes his kind of turn around like more impactful um but at the same time he's not it doesn't
0: doesn't kind of compromise who he is he's not he doesn't suddenly become all good he's still no
2: absolutely no, and, and like he, you, still see him at the start of, um, start of Empire, like wanting kind of rewards for what he did, <laughs>
0: um, and having to go off and, and pay a bounty on all.
2: Yeah, so he, yeah, but he, but it, I think those flaws make him. They also kind of set up his actions. So the way he goes around things, like when they go to Cloud City, and he believes he kind of has this trust in Lando that he'll help them, and all this kind of stuff It's kind of his very kind of that's just who he is isn't it like he he does just kind of
0: yeah um, even though he says before they got to cloud city that he doesn't trust him so he's kind of yeah he kind of does but then he doesn't so
2: yeah um let say on the, on the flip side that's seeing leia so he's just kind of like at least at the beginning he's presented this kind of let's say this this perfect beauty of a woman um and i'd say she's kind of goes to the opposite route where by the end of her story you kind of see more and more of her flaws as it goes on but that kind of they all they all make sense and they all work with the character that she's being built up to be mm-hmm. so yeah i think they're both there are two kind of good examples of that of that question
0: really that's why i think they gathered like you know people not just the sheer spectacle of the original trilogy but they were really good characters they were diverse it's so different like Luke and Han and Leia they're all very different characters but and each one is great and flawed in many ways so they just you just instantly almost have a rapport with one of them you'll see yourself in at least one of them whereas i don't think in the sequels you don't necessarily have, it's quite hard to see yourself as some of those characters
2: and, it's and all- even the supporting characters like Chewie and the droids you still you still see bits of yourself in them. Yeah. Or, yeah,
0: yeah. And you again, see, the, the kind of cowardly, cowardly in voice in your head is kinda of like the cowardly voice in your head you would see in like C three Bio or Yeah. The uh, Or
2: the mischievous one in RCD two. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like Yeah. So yeah. So that's definitely so we're basically in, in summary we're kind of saying that the three words that Johnny said earlier are basically that's it. That we could just put that at the start of the podcast and Yep. We'd be done. He cut all this rubbish after
0: I think it's and just it's it's like to get onto the slightly controversial side of things is that I know there's, there's this lot of films and series and various things are trying to be very diverse in their characters nowadays but they sometimes do they do a disservice to Different genders and different ethnicities and different sexualities, because in a lot of times they define a character purely by that that demographic. I mean, they'll just put a female character in something, and they won't develop her. They won't make her an interesting character. They'll just say, "Right, well, here's a female character. That's great." They don't then make her real. They don't make her a real person. That's the issue I think they have with Ray. Even though they had such a great template in Leia, Leia was a great character in herself. But Ray is not, um, and just yeah, for so many things, they just they, they as I say, they do a disservice to people of that of those genders, of those ethnicities, and those sexualities by because we're all unique. We're not defined by our gender or our sexuality or our, the colour of our skin. We are. We're defined by our personality, by our decisions, by the choices we make. That's what really defines us. That's what makes us makes us unique as a character, and that needs to then translate into a good character in a book or a film or a series. If you don't have that multifaceted character, if you don't have flaws, positives, you know, strengths, if they don't, then they're just they're just they're not. There are there they're a prop. They're not a character. They they service the plot. They're not a character in in a world. They're just there to service the plot, whatever plot there is in terms of the sequels. So yeah, they just need. They needs comes down to like you say. empathy. you needs. They need to be three dimensional. That's the key to making a great character.
2: I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think something you mentioned earlier, Christian, was them kind of not just being given a kind of perfect set of cards. Like they, they, they need to struggle both kind of externally and internally as well. I think that's quite important. Like they haven't just got to like Ray just struggles externally with with kind of battles that she has mm. to fight physical battles. I don't think you ever really see her struggle internally Mm. to between different options
0: like she her kind of defining trait is that she's nice Mm. and that's what she does she's a nice person and she's very good at everything that's about it and they just try and they force that kind of dark side into her in the third one out of nowhere at no point do I feel like that was hinted at in the first two just out just feels like they right we need to make her a bit more interesting let's make her pretend that she's going to go maybe even it might have even been just for the trailer so they could have had that that bit where you see that ray with the red lights over that was that was it most likely yeah and that's i didn't say i fell for that i thought oh hello that's definitely not a vision that's definitely i that can't be a vision it was a fucking vision Never fall for the trailers. Mm. I was really pumped for Last Jedi when I saw that trailer.
1: If if, if films were as good as their trailers, Zack Snyder would have like 100 Oscars by now.
2: (laughs) I thought his films just were one long trailer. Pretty much. (laughs) I think it's also important that the, the challenges that they're facing are appropriate to what their kind of strength is. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, like, like I mean, the thing about Ray being, he's saying she because she's kind of like a nice person. It does kind of make sense that her her struggle would then be that whether she is going to be like whether she's going to be a nice person or she's going to go to the good, the bad mm-hmm. side. But as you say, it's just got to happen over a,
0: over a long period of time, um, and it's got to happen
1: naturally.
0: No, it's, yeah, see, it's it. Like I said earlier, it just they they force it in and they. They put it down to her genetics. So we're not. So again, like I said before, we're not defined by her genetics. Like just because her granddad was a nasty man doesn't mean she's going to be nasty. Especially when she didn't even know that that was her granddad. So suddenly. Oh to find my that granddad out was a
1: nasty th- man. I'm nasty now for ten minutes. Mm. I'm going to be nasty.
0: That's why I also don't buy her powers. And that suddenly she's able to use force lightning. Even people, even you know, Sith lords, if you know, if you read the lore of Star Wars, can't do that instantly. They have to train a hell of a lot to learn that power because it's a very difficult power to learn. And yet, she just suddenly uses it, just because of her genetics. It's not; she doesn't struggle to learn that power, and she doesn't actually use it again, does she? That's the only time she uses it in that film, That one time yeah
2: So. okay so to round things off I'm going to ask you for one quick thing can you think of another character that we haven't talked about tonight that you would exemplify you put up on a pedestal as a strong character that may be a bit different from all the main ones you've kind of talked about
1: I feel like I've mentioned quite a few different things here i'm a, i'm I'm gonna actually f- carry on this trailer for i mentioned before about sort of Batman villains. And I can mention anyone any Batman villain. Um the actual character I'm gonna mention is probably is one that one of my favourites as you as Andrew definitely knows, who I don't think gets enough credit and gets enough calendarman No not <laughs> Candeman but on the same Solomon Grandi. Same trailer for um is Harvey Dent Two Face. Because that is a character with like the ultimate arc because you have him you have him as a character on both sides and even as a villain he has he has an incredible like it's an incredible story and texture to him as a character, and 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 so yeah, that's a great strong character. And I'm talking when I do, when I'm talking about I'm not talking about necessarily the Dark Knight film or certainly not um, the uh, Joel Schumacher incarnation of of uh, of a Two Face, um, which left a lot to be desired. I'm talking about more in the on'm more in the comics because he's and in the animated series, because that is, you know, a perfectly textured villain. But like I said, you could pretty much mention any Batman villain, because as I said, there is a tragic story behind all of them, and they're all so textured. And that's one of the things I love about the sort of Batman universe. But I, I would pluck for, for Harvey Dent. Do
0: you want to go next,
1: Andrew?
2: Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go for... I think it kind of ticks off everything we said today. Um, I'm going to go for Dumbledore. And I think the reason I'm going to go for him is because you see him in such a different light throughout the entire set of books like at the beginning you see him as just this absolute like perfect strong man who can kind of do no wrong because in harry's eyes he's 11 it makes sense that that's how he kind of views things and by the end of it you see when harry's kind of become an adult and he's aware of the kind of challenges and difficulties in the world he's he sees dumbledore's Kind of real weaknesses and flaws in his past life, and sees him as much more of a, kind of in-depth, varied character. um And you go through that whole progression. It's yeah, I just think it's interesting to have a strong character that you, you kind of, you find out more and more of their flaws as time goes on. But you actually that makes them a stronger character. You could also flip
1: that though, can't you? Like Snape, for example.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And have it the other way around. I, I
2: struggle with Snape a little bit because I think that. I completely appreciate the kind of the backstory and the motivation, but I don't believe that that is how you, the way he behaves with Harry is how. Oh, really? How his character? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I don't know. I, I I get it. I get it enough. I just don't. I don't. I think there's a bit of license taken to make him being asked to Harry for the majority of the seven films, seven books. Um because i don't i don't believe if you actually love someone that much that you would then just like
0: treat their kid like (laughs) shit yeah for seven
2: for seven years like i think you would i would yeah well
1: maybe that's why i (laughs) empathize with them (laughs) maybe that's why
0: you suddenly reminded me of a meme i saw of those i don't know if you, you oh Johnny should get this because he's watched Game of Thrones. So it's like on a scale of Snape to Littlefinger, how friendly are you to your dead crush's kid? You've got Snape <laughs> who just smacks Pete, uh, Harry around the uh, the head, and then you've got Littlefinger okay. who basically snogs his girl, his uh, his crush's daughter half the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. So oh. that that'd be my choice, I think. I think Dumbledore's yeah. He mm-hmm. says that really interesting arc where you and I know again everything you see about that character is through Harry's perspective, um, and through his relationship with other people. So,
0: I don't question? think they get. I don't think some of the Harry Potter characters don't get enough credit just for just how well written they are. Actually, so they are. Yeah, a lot of people kind of turn the nose up at Harry Potter for it being a kids thing, but it is some of the characters are really, you know, really, really well developed, really great characters, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. briefly, I'd like to do just a shout out to. One of the best set of strong characters and the most diverse cast is in The Expanse if anyone hasn't read watch The Expanse watch The Expanse because that is an absolutely freaking amazing series with characters that are just magnetic to watch and they're all interesting and flawed and oh, superb absolutely superb even Amos who immediately comes who in, initially comes across as a bit of a um, Nah. As a bit, of, the mm. bit of a hot headed, just brute, turns out to have a really interesting story arc hidden beneath. But in terms of another character, I love a one that comes from my favourite film of all time, Blade Runner, would be Roy, who's actually the villain, or supposed villain, of Blade Runner. Who's this um, android, who's head of this group of escaped androids. And he's coming to the end of his life. They only get a four-year lifespan. And although he's being hunted down, like, all any escaped androids are being have to be hunted down because of risks to you know, public safety. Um, the only order that he wants, all that he wants, is for him and his compatriots to have their life extended. And he tries, he tries to talk with his maker, the head of Tyrell Corporation who makes these androids, just to have more life, because they only get four years, and they're and he has this absolutely beautiful um, soliloquy at the end of the film, which is one of my favourite moments in cinema, it is top, is my top moment in cinema where he basically says that all the experiences that he's had in just these this short time, just these four years they'll just be lost, because that's all the time that he was given, and they will uh, disappear like tears in rain as he puts it so beautifully and that never fails to get me and again it's just a brilliantly written you know quote-unquote villain because all he wants is for him and his loved ones yet he falls in love with this other android you now there's a whole other can of worms about you know artificial life you know falling in love so is that possible um yeah what he wants is for a longer life that's all he. That's all he's seeking, but because he's seeking that, he has to be destroyed. That's by the protagonist, and if you start thinking about it too much, then you might think that um, uh, Harrison Ford's character in that is actually the villain, and Roy is the protagonist, so when you get into that sort of situation where you can almost like switch perspectives on the, the hero and the villain, I think that just shows how interesting and multifaceted a character, a character can really be.
2: I'm getting a lot of vibes of um Detroit Become Human coming to my head oh, after hearing you say all that. As
0: much as I really enjoyed Detroit Become Human, Blade Runner is yeah. the uh, the master. It's got nothing on. Blade as Runner. In I just meant
2: as in the the kind of the the, the, the subjects you're tackling. I suppose. Yeah, more yeah, more
0: yeah. Let's play that again. Actually, yeah. make some different choices. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Right, so we seem to have tackled that question quite well hopefully mm-hmm. it uh, makes some kind of sense because this was we didn't structure this too much so more of a, just a general discussion mm-hmm. so I hope the listeners got something out of that some kind of conclusion and been and uh, comment below on social media if you have a different opinion as
1: long as he nice that's what you pay
0: Christian <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't encourage people to
0: complain Christian that's like yeah we can just—it's it's an open discussion. They have a nice, like, a nice little discussion. That's that's how internet, you know, discussions are. They're always nice and civilized. That's open. as a question time. And then there's Seb. <laughs> Hi, Seb. Hi, Seb. Hi, Seb. Seb, so might might be a sorry. Just, Seb might be a. If I set this a stone now that he's going to be guest starring on our Lord of the Rings edition at some point in the future.
1: But he says that Stranger Things is good, but not good. <laughs> <You know. laughs> those are the kind of opinions we want on this podcast
2: well Christian might have retired by the time we do the Lord of the Rings episode yeah because
0: right? we've done the sequel episode by then So, yeah. even I feel like we've discussed a little bit quite a bit of the sequel issues in this one actually
2: yeah you've managed to tease us into it somehow Christian <laughs> so what are we um, what are we discussing next week Jonathan Maunders aka The Birthday Boy Special birthday episode, yeah, because yeah. it's my it's birthday
1: next week. Is it next mm-hmm. week or the week after? Sometime, um, I we get I've pulled it, so we get to talk about Batman, and I think we're t- what we talking about our favorite TV and film Batmans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just
2: everything Batman. Just you, you can. We're all gonna wear party hats. There's gonna be jammy can Dodgers.
1: we're party hats. <laughs> yeah, right that's yeah.
0: flying around everyone.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: Andrew's got a batarang so he can do that I've got a
2: batarang I'm not sure it'll fly but I'll give it a throw in <laughs> It's got
1: a big dent in your wall <laughs> 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 it's alright um, yeah
2: to 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 appease Johnny and make him happy for his, for his birthday oh. all that should be Batman. fun mm-hmm. all things Batman. yeah it'll be good, it'll be good. It'll be good I now. might
0: even
1: wear my Batman
2: onesie you totally should I'm little afraid I might wear my Penguin penguins. onesie that's vaguely relevant
1: I guess Yes. You need to wear, have an umbrella with it as well.
0: Yeah. What do you think I am? Who would I represent? Who do I dress up as? Alfred. <laughs> Solomon Grandy. I've got the
1: grey hair. For
2: Solomon King. <laughs> as long as there's a napkin around.
0: <laughs> yeah, Grandy or Alfred, Christian. You make your choice. All <laughs> right then. Until next week. Stay safe. Stay dangerous. Stay nerdy. <laughs> Bye. Bye.